Thank you very much. It's a, always a privilege to be here. And um, I have to say one of the biggest blessings is the preparation for a day like this. And um, when I was listening to the, the worship this morning and also what people have sort of shared in prayer and all of that, I just know that our Father has one simple message for us today. And that is the one truth. And um, the passage in Luke will take us through that. It will remind us about the kingdom and, and what that means. And my prayer is really, as I, as I was going through this, I was really blessed by how Father God reminded me of, of this central truth uh, in the gospel. And I really hope that where everyone is today, that that will just be your space. I, I pray that Father God will do the same for you, regardless of what's being said, but that scripture will speak to you. Um, and that you will find that that space today to again be reminded of what it means to be be part of, of uh, God's family. So um, we dive into Luke. It's uh, it's uh, quite a number of verses that we're looking at today. So I'm going to kick off for us to sort of read through that. It will appear on the screen, so you can follow it on the screen, or you obviously can follow it in your own. Bible as well as as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the whole passage and then we'll come back and we'll step through it um, in pieces so that you can see uh, the big picture before we dive uh, into the detail. Okay, so reading from Luke 17, we're reading from verse 20 on to 37. Now at one point the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. So he answered. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for indeed the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Then people will say to you, look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go out or chase after them. For just like the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, right up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone who is on the roof with his goods in the house must not come down to take them away. And likewise, the person in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women in grinding, grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Then the disciples said to him, where, Lord? He replied to them, 
where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. Right, so in a way, if we read that, I mean, there's, uh, it talks a lot about what happened in the time of Noah and Lot, and it could um, sound uh, quite harsh. But let's step through, as many times happened through the Gospels, um, and as Jesus is, is walking and teaching people, you often find that the crowd or the Pharisees are asking him a question, and he will answer that. And then he turns to his disciples and give them some deeper teaching into what's going on. And we will see this um, in this passage as well. Early on, in just the first two verses, we've got the question that come from the Pharisees when they asked Jesus when the kingdom of God is, uh, was going to come. And Jesus answering them to say the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for indeed the kingdom of God is in your midst. So there are two key observations for me from this. I mean, remember that Jesus has been doing miracles um, all around. Most recently, as we looked last week, he was healing 10 lepers. The Israelites were holding on to the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they were expecting the restoration of the kingdom. Um, but perhaps they were expecting it to be the same as it was in the Old Testament. Apparently, in this point in time, they were living under the Roman rule, um, and I think they may have been thinking it's going to be similar. We're going to be freed from our oppressors like it was in Egypt. We're going to be taken to uh, um, the promised land where our earthly enemies will be defeated. They still did not realize that Jesus was the kingdom coming to earth. So Jesus answers them by saying the kingdom is not coming with signs to be observed. Jesus is effectively asking them just to open their eyes for everything that is happening around them, to observe what he is doing and recognize him as the Messiah. God with us, Emmanuel, right in their midst, as it says in those verses. And I think for me from this, it is also a warning to us. Let's not be like the Pharisees by missing what our Father is doing right around us every day. As Vicky so beautifully prayed, just thank you, Father, for the smallest mercies. Thank you for everything that we can see your hand in. Thank you that we can experience that you are uh, around us. So a very clear direction to the Pharisees, just open your eyes. I am here with you. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he starts to go into a bit more explanation to them about taking it further from that question. Uh, that he answered to the Pharisees. And in verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see. Jesus is talking about the time after his death and resurrection and, and when the disciples will be desperate to have him back. Um, but he's making it quite clear in this passage to them is that this is not going to happen in your lifetime. You're not going to see it. Um, and then he carries on. Then people will say to you, look, there he is. Or look, here he is. Do not go out or chase after them. For just like the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It will come suddenly. He warns that there will be many false predictions of his second coming. Um, I, you know, if you, I googled yesterday, predictions of the second coming of Christ. 
Do you know that you get 18.6 million hits on Google if you do that? Uh, people are just forever trying to predict the end times. And I guess in the last year, there's certainly been talk about that as people are grappling with the uncertainties of the chaos in the world. Jesus makes it very clear that the second coming will be like lightning flashes. There's no lineup of signs or cosmic positioning that would be our hint for that. It is true that there are parts in the Bible that even Jesus talks about what the end times will look like. So I can show you one. I mean, we look at what, what it says in Matthew 24, uh, verse 6 and 7, we read this. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Make sure that you are not alarmed, for this must happen. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise up in arms against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And surely when we look around us, those things are happening. We are living in the end times. But Jesus makes it very clear that predicting when he comes back uh, is, is really not for us to be concerned about. He carries on from that and then gives them a glimpse about reminding them of what, what the steps are that's right ahead of them. When he then say, says in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Can we ever remind ourselves enough of what Jesus did for us? He died for our sins on the cross. He defeated death forever. And then he offers us the opportunity to be part of that in eternity, to be part of the kingdom in eternity. I was really struck by one very critical question Jeeves asked us last week in the sermon when he asked the question, do you know of Jesus or do you know Jesus? Is my relationship real? And if it is, what does that do to me today? When we realize what Jesus has done for us, the only real response, as we heard last week as well, is joyful, thankful worship. And a growing desire to share that good news with people around us. Don't miss the opportunity to recognize what Jesus has done and is still doing in our lives today. There is something for us to be thankful of every day of our lives. Let me also remind you of some of the encouragement that we find in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read from verse um, 1 to 3 there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary and your souls uh, in your souls and give up. I was, uh, as I was looking at that and seeing how much people are trying to predict the future, I was wondering how, why are we so fixated uh, on the second coming of Christ? Jesus is very clear in, in his uh, talk here to the disciples that there are no signs um, that will show us exactly when it's going to happen. 
Rather, he wants us to focus and to know that the kingdom of God is here already. Yes, it's still in the broken reality. Before the second coming of Christ, when everything will be restored in this perfection as the, the way God created it and intended it from the start. But that should not concern us now, to be honest. Attempts to set the dates for when Christ will return should be rejected. A period of time until that is just indeterminate. When it comes, when it does come, it will be unexpected and a surprise. Christians do not prepare themselves by graphing charts and preparing different scenarios for the second coming. They do prepare themselves by their faithful witness according to their repentance. Jesus' coming started the kingdom. The process of the kingdom growth has begun. Much of Luke's gospel is um, consumed with this point. Whether Jesus teaches or heals, Luke is showing that in him, God's promise is fulfilled according to the hope of the Old Testament. Luke wants his readers to realize the same fundamental truth. The deal with God is one must go through Jesus. That is the salvation that he has uh, worked for us. To enter the courts and blessings of heaven and to share in relationship with God, one must come to the king for the salvation that he offers. The kingdom is revealed in Jesus now, but it will show itself in judgment one day. And that is when Jesus then takes us and also the disciples um, to something that they know very well about. They knew about the stories of the Old Testament, well documented uh, in their history. And he reminds us what happened in the time of Noah, just as it was in the days of Noah, so too it would be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, they, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, right up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And then in verse 30, it will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. In both of these encounters with stories of Noah and Lot, it's not the suddenness of the judgment, but the removal of the righteous that, we should, that should be noted. In both these stories, there were warnings about the judgment. There were righteousness living amongst the unrighteous. There were enough for people to see it the judgment is not sudden, but the timing is unknown, which I guess kind of makes it sudden for those that don't, don't take note of the invitation for salvation and righteousness. But there's also the warning uh, from Jesus about Lot's wife. It is important. Wholehearted commitment to Jesus is what he's asking for. Note that the activities that they talk about, there are common activities. I mean, there's nothing sinful about eating and drinking and being married. But I think the focus that Luke is trying to give us here and what Jesus is pointing out is that people did not pay attention to the kingdom of God. They were living their own selfish desires. 
They were living in complete disregard to what was coming, immersed in their daily occupations and pleasures and planning and arranging their lives. No thought beyond their immediate self-interest, just being satisfied with where they are, being self-sufficient, until in those days catastrophe just came. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a simple believer. And when I think about God and creation and the Bible, uh, I understand or believe or accept that God created something in perfection. Now, perfection is only measurable if there's also imperfection. Good only exists because there is also bad. Light is only possible because there's darkness. So many people ask, why did God put the tree of life in the garden? Even why was it possible for Adam and Eve to trip up and cause all creation to suffer the consequences of fall? The question I often ask myself is, does freedom exist if you don't have choice? And I think that's what happened there. But actually, it doesn't matter, really, because it is what it is. This is where we are. But throughout the ages, God has shown that he has forever reached out and wanted his people to come back to him, to be part of the journey of creating, bringing us back to the splendor as it was intended to be. Um, I've just been reading through Kings and Chronicles over the last few weeks, and I tell you, that's tough to go through that. There's very little motivational stuff in there, especially if you... Um, in this time of, uh, of international pandemic. I mean, those, those guys, I mean, I, I, I don't know. They just didn't have a clue. It's harsh to say it. But I'll tell you, I mean, how many times do we need to see the principle of obedience that result in blessing versus disobedience that remove the blessing? But we are in this broken reality that we live in. So often, Bad things happen to good people. I often listen to stories of people who suffer unfairly, even in my view. And then people would ask, how did that happen? Why did God allow that to happen? I mean, I've been there myself. When my father-in-law passed away 16 years ago from cancer as a, as a young man, I, I, I was struggling with that. Even when my own dad passed away just over, about two years ago now. I just thought... This doesn't feel right. But listen, I've not had as much suffering as many other people have endured. The principle, though, here is that Jesus talks about that his own suffering had to happen for him to work salvation for us. Disciples should be confident in God's final vindication, not only when they experience the benefits of God's reign in our life today, but also when we experience the tribulation on behalf of God's reign today. Some of the strongest testimonies are exactly of suffering believers. And I sometimes wonder, why is that? I think it's because the overwhelming power of God's peace through the salvation in Jesus Christ makes that possible. Why is it possible for people to stay in that? It's because of the peace that Jesus brings us. And then we obviously had all the modern day miracles that happen around us. I mean, in all of us, I know 
many of us, I hope all of us, carry that as part of our own testimony about where we see God's hand in what happens around us on a day-to-day -day basis. On a few of my own, um, a number of years ago on a rainy April evening in 2010, I lost control of our car. And as we were leaving the road, Annalisa was just shouting the name of Jesus for protection. And as the car was airborne and started to tumble and eventually landed on his roof, miraculously seven people crawled from that car without any injuries to speak of. Just two years ago in this building we're in today, my shoulder was healed in a service upstairs. Miraculously, God touching me. Even our move as a family to the UK, there were so many of our testimony of divine intervention and construction of, of that move uh, for us. Do you see what God is still doing today around us? Or are we like the Pharisees? Jesus has just healed 10 lepers and they are still asking, when does the kingdom come? The kingdom came when Jesus came to earth. And we're living in that time with him. He will come back one day. And that will be the fulfillment of it all. But he's already with us here today. As believers, do we understand what it means to live in that eternity? Do we understand the warning not to be consumed with our daily existence? Do we see what Jesus is turning, showing the disciples here when he refers back to how people lived in the time of Noah and the time of Lot? They were just carrying on with their daily lives with no, their hearts not turned to kingdom matters. I mean, that is the challenge for us as well. If you're not a believer, would you not at least give this crazy idea some thought? There's so much to gain that it is absolutely worth just considering it. If diving into Christianity um, through studying the Bible is just one bold step too far, then I want to recommend that you pick up something else at some of the excellent writings of people like Josh McDowell and um, Confronting Christianity, the book that uh, Ian referred to by um, Rebecca McLaughlin a couple of weeks ago. These are all very clever academics that set out to prove Christianity a fake. And as, as the result of their work, started to believe in Jesus Christ. That is so, so powerful. If you're a non-believing skeptic and is still thinking this religious thing is not for me, I, I want to just read one quote from uh, the writings of Josh McDowell. As he was grappling with that, he tried church, left church, because that didn't work for him, uh, whatever he encountered there. He saw a group of people that he thought, they're different. I need to understand why they're different. So he's asking the question to one of the ladies to say, what makes you different? And she answers, Jesus Christ. And he goes off at her to say, I don't tell me about all this religious nonsense. I have had enough of that. And she stops him and said, wait, wait, I didn't say religion. I said, Jesus Christ. And then he writes the following. She pointed out something I'd never known before. Christianity is not a religion. Religion is humans trying to work their way to God through good works. Christianity is God coming to men and women through Jesus Christ 
offering them a relationship with him. That's the single truth. That is the single truth for us. God, through Jesus Christ, came to this earth to present the kingdom of God to us. To win the battle over Satan through his death and the resurrection. And makes being part of eternity possible through the salvation civil thing. My believer friend, let the kingdom of God be visible through your life. Your life may be the only book your non-believing friends may ever read to learn about God's grace. Make it count. My dear non-believer friend, Father God loves you. He wants you to be part of eternity. He wants to be part of your life. And there is only way to that. And that's accepting Jesus as your Savior. If there's anyone on this uh, call today and or listening to it a bit later, and you in that space where you contemplating, is this the step for me to go? I want to lead you in a prayer on that. Um, so let's just pray together. Father, I'm a sinful man and I recognize that Thank you that you have come to earth through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done on the cross. I recognize that I need you in my life. Father, please forgive my sins. I give my life to you today. I want to live in a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's anyone that prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to drop a note in the chat to either Ian or Jeeves, you, or you can do it to everyone to celebrate uh, that big, 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 big step you've taken in your lives. But get in touch with us or go to the church website and contact us. We would love to be on a journey with you. And for those of you on, on here today that know Jesus and um, may have been in that space where you're asking questions about what's going on around us. I encourage you just to sit still and think about the small mercies, the stuff that we can thank God for every day, but also the amazing thing that God did for us, the salvation that we have, and that is telling us here to be kingdom-minded people in our day-to-day -day living. Let's not just be eating and drinking and planning and building. But let's be busy with kingdom matters. Let's look out for the poor. Let's look after each other. Let's reach out to people that are needing the peace of God in their lives. Father, I pray, let your kingdom come. Amen.